is saying to the church. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. Who does not own the sheep? He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, or is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God bless to our understanding the reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, great shepherd of the sheep, shepherd us by your word. Shepherd us by your spirit. As we have opened and read and now um, here proclaimed, uh, your holy, inerrant, and inspired word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of my studies in John 10, I feel like I'm becoming quite the expert on how to be an ancient Israelite shepherd. I learned this week that a shepherd would often sleep at the door or the gateway of the sheepfold or the sheep pen. Uh, the sheepfold would have higher walls, usually made of, uh, of rocks. And uh, these higher walls would be, of course, to keep the predators from being able to get in. And so the only vulnerable entryway was the gate. And so what the shepherd would do as he brought the sheep into the sheepfold at night is he would sleep in the gateway. The gateway was not some great gate. It was about this wide, and he would curl up right in the middle of the gateway. So no predator, predator could get into the sheep without going through the shepherd, and no sheep could wander out without stepping on him and waking him up. This is the uh, practice of shepherds 
Um, Really, for many centuries, uh, we even have examples of shepherds sleeping in the gateway to the sheepfold well into the 19th century. In other words, uh, what is happening here is the shepherd is acting as the door for the sheep. And so this is the background for Jesus' statements in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Um, Jason just read them, uh, read this passage for us, but I want you to hear again in light of this background, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, here in our, in our text, Jesus is saying He is the watchful, dedicated shepherd who guards His flock with His own life. And so His listeners would not need all the background that I've just given you. They would have understood immediately what Jesus was saying. Jesus here in verses 8 and also verse uh, 10 speaks of thieves and robbers. Uh, He's speaking of wolves and foxes, lions, hyenas, and the desert lynx, among other predatory animals that uh, would seek to uh, kill and eat the sheep. And they would kill them without mercy. You know, the sheep are simply dinner. So Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The predator, always looking for a way to get in among the sheep. No concern for the sheep, only to kill them, to rip their flesh apart and and, um, devour them. With their teeth. The predators are vicious. The predators are only self concerned. Jesus is calling those to whom he is speaking the predators. He's speaking here to the Jewish leaders because the Jewish leaders had no concern for the people of Israel. They only wished to fill their appetite. Um, only wish to fill their appetite for power and control. You will remember the sad exchange in John chapter 9 where uh, the the Jewish leaders went out and found the the parents of the man who was born blind and they said to um, to them, Is this your child? And the parents were so scared of the, the Jewish leaders but they said, well, yes, we know he was he's our child. Yes, we know he was born blind. But if you want to know how he was healed, even though we know how he was healed, you're going to go ask him because he's of age. And the Scripture says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to put, be put out of the synagogue. And so the Jewish religious leaders 
care nothing about the sheep. They care nothing about this man who had been born blind and who was healed. All they were concerned about was that Jesus was a threat to their control. He was a threat to their power. And so anybody who confessed that Jesus was Christ, they exercised their power, they exercised their control by kicking people out of the synagogue. The ancient Jewish leaders are not the only thieves and robbers that Jesus had in mind. His words speak across the centuries, speak even to our own day and age. Uh, surely he had in mind the thieves and, and the robbers that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy our souls as well. The first thing that comes to mind, of course, are all the false world religions. Uh, I seriously doubt any of you are being tempted by false re world religions this morning. Are any of you being tempted to convert to Islam or to Zoroastrianism? I didn't think so. None of the world religions can offer salvation for your soul. Even though the practices of the various religions uh, differ greatly, they are all united in the belief that salvation, however they define it, is only accomplished by you doing your part so that you can have some kind of hope that you've done enough to recommend yourself to God. And so world, all the world religions, you boil them down, and it's basically, you've got a ladder that you're supposed to climb up, and you don't know if that ladder actually is going to reach all the way to heaven because you don't know if you're going to do enough to get there. I ask people all the time the two questions. If you die tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And people who um, have this approach to, to God where I've got to do my part and hope that God's merciful enough, they'll, they'll say generally, I think so, or I hope so. But they won't have that sure and certain confidence because Christianity alone teaches that God does everything that we need for salvation. And not only has He done it, He gives it to us as a free gift. That's why Jesus Christ came. Why He became human. Took on human flesh. So that He might be the perfect sacrifice for sinners. <clears throat> so it's easy to avoid the, the thieves of false religion. The same goes for the cults. But there's another thief that is much more deceptive. The name of this thief is relativism. Relativism attracts its adherents by asking, Who are you to judge others? Who are you to say that Jesus is the only way to God? Relativism says, Who are you to believe that everybody but you is going to hell. Hell is made up is only a made up concept to control people. Religion is controlling. And so if you teach and preach any kind of religion, especially a religion that is exclusive and exclusionary, I mean you are a controlling person. 
And so the relativists would say, if there were a hell, it would be made for controlling people like you who believe that Jesus is the only way. Have you heard something like that expressed before? I'm sure you have. Relativism is a thief and a robber because it attempts to cut away at your firm faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting, but it's not surprising, that Christianity is being so savagely attacked in the media while Islam is being appeased. Relativism, Islam, other world religions, cults, they are far from the only thieves that are seeking to kill, steal, and destroy our souls. There are also false saviors galore in our culture that tempt to take us away or take the place of Christ in our lives as the ultimate object of our trust. For instance, there's the importance that we attach to medical science and to health as our saviors. Medical science, doctors, good health, these are all good things. These are all gifts from God. But our culture tells us that our health is everything. And so we elevate good health and the means to good health up to the status of saviors. And the upshot is, when we lose our health, because we are leaning upon health to be our Savior, it feels like God's turned our back on us when our health fails. And this can be a thief to your faith. Money and leisure are also false saviors that tempt to take the place of Christ in our lives. This goes without saying, but it's evident that though all of us would confess that Jesus Christ is first in our heart, that we worship Him first, practically speaking, we don't live like it. So let me ask this one question. In what ways does the pursuit of money or of leisure take you away from your service in Christ? In other words... If you are so pursuing leisure and so pursuing money, it's taking away time that you might have spent, taking away energy that you might have spent serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So practically speaking, in what ways does the pursuit of money or leisure take you away from your service for the Lord Jesus? Are there any ways in which money and leisure have taken the place of Christ in your life? What other false saviors might be vying for first place in your life? What other false saviors might you be trusting in rather than Christ? False hopes also act as thieves and robbers. And these are the most deceptive because these truly are the wolves dressed in sheep's clothing because the false hopes come from within us. We have things that we desire, attitudes we cultivate, hopes that we cherish. But these things, without our knowing it, 
lead us away from Christ. And what's really insidious about them is that we open the door of our hearts to them. It's almost as if, if you could picture Jesus sitting or sleeping, well, He never sleeps, but um, uh, sitting in the gate of the sheepfold to protect the sheep. And here we are as a sheep trying to push Him out of the gate so that we can open our hearts wide to our desires and hopes so that um, our sinful desires and hopes might have full access to our hearts. Can you see how dangerous this is? Can you see how rebellious this is? And do you see how easily we do it? Even as God's people? I'm talking about things like success and hopes and dreams. Success or control over our circumstances or freedom of conscience to pursue things that are displeasing to God. God, Your command is in the way. I'm going to shove it aside. I'm going to make it somehow optional. You know what kind of things I'm talking about. I've addressed, I've addressed these kinds of things many times before. But it is wicked that we would push Jesus out of the doorway in, in order that we might pursue our own agenda. And we all do it. What are your heart desires and hopes that you love so much that you're willing to push Jesus out of His position as the door of the sheep so that you can seek your own blessing outside of Christ. This, is, of course, is the whole issue of idolatry. And, of course, as we're talking about Jesus as the door, it also means that Jesus is the exclusive Savior. No one is saved except through Him. Verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ as the door is the exclusive Savior. There is no other Savior except for Jesus Christ alone. Or as the Apostle said, there is no other name given under heaven, by which a man may be saved other than the name of Jesus. He's the exclusive Savior. He's also the life giver of the sheep. You see this in verse 10. Second half of verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus says abundantly, what He means is simply that He has given us eternal life. And that He has made this life secure. If you have Jesus Christ, there is nothing, no thief, no robber, nothing that is able to take you out of His hand. There is nothing that is able to rob you of the life that He gives you. Any robber or thief that would rob you of eternal life, would have to go up to heaven and kill God first. 
in Jesus Christ, you are secure. And the life you have is eternal. And when you get to the end of eternity, you're going to realize you still have eternity to go. That's the best way I can try and describe eternal life. And so Jesus says it's abundant because it can't be stolen and it is eternal. You know, here's a good example of where Christians push Jesus aside to pursue their own agenda. Christians pour all kinds of meaning into this word abundantly in verse 10. So for many Christians, they pour in the meaning of happiness. Abundant life is happy life. Jesus, you promised to give me abundant life, which is happiness. So Jesus, you promised to give me happiness. You better give it to me. You see how we allow our desires to push Jesus aside? In fact, what we do is we, um, we make Jesus a party to our sinful desires. Jesus, you promised to give me this happiness. Or for others, they pour into this meaning of abundance. Um, they, they will say that it means satisfaction. Jesus, you promised to give me satisfaction in this life. Whatever my definition of satisfaction is, you better give it to me. And we push Jesus, the door to the sheep, out of the way that we might open our hearts to our sinful idols. Jesus is the door of the sheep. He's also the good shepherd. Verses 11 through 18. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is your Savior, who describes himself as the good shepherd, who was willing to lay down his life for you. Jesus loves you so much that He laid down His life. Jesus loved sinners so much. Sinners who are constantly tempted to push Him out of the way that He laid down His life. Jesus loved sinners so much that He laid down His life even for sinners who do push Him aside as the door. We looked ahead to verse 15 last week and we saw how deeply Jesus loves us and how deeply Jesus knows us. Remember how we, we looked briefly at Revelation chapter 1, how He gives each one of us a unique name. He gives a stone with a unique name on it. Uh, and he, he tells us this 
uh, to illustrate how intimately and how deeply He loves us. Now, I realize you probably don't know the name that He's given you. I don't know the name He's given me. I don't want you to fret if you don't know what your unique name is. Uh, Jesus is using this as an illustration for us to understand how deeply He knows us, how intimately He loves us. Will He give us a stone with our own name on it when we get to heaven? I hope so. I'd expect so. But I don't want you to be overly stressed if you're saying, well, I don't know what my unique name is. I simply want you to know that He loves you. That He knows you. That He laid down His life for you. One of the issues that I think comes up in people's minds as we talk about the Good Shepherd is when we think about the Good Shepherd, we think of Him as being a protector, which He is. But then one of the side issues, does this mean that He keeps us from having or experiencing anything bad in life? Have you ever thought about that? Well, if He's the Good Shepherd, then this guarantees that I'm going to have happiness. That I'm going to be free from any trying and difficult circumstances because God, the Lord, is my Good Shepherd. Jesus Christ shepherds us according to His Word. And He has given us His Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. If we will not follow the shepherd, but push him aside to follow our own pursuits, we are likely not to thrive. Now, he loves us so much, and you know the story that he tells, the parable that he tells. He leaves the who to pursue the who. He leaves the ninety-nine to pursue the one who has wandered away. How did that one wander away? He wanted to go his own way. May have figured out how to slip past the the um, the door, so to speak. And here's the good shepherd, and goes out and finds that one. He loves us that much. When we leave the safety and security of the flock and wander off the well-lit path of God's Word, we're likely not to thrive. But He loves us enough to pursue us. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He shepherds you with His staff, with His rod. He comforts you, leads you into... um, the um, green pastures leads lead you beside the flowing streams. But it doesn't mean that you won't have hardship. It doesn't mean that you won't have poor health. It doesn't mean that you won't experience suffering. But you can know that the Good Shepherd is leading you through those, those circumstances. That you are never alone. 
You know, this is just, I've been looking forward to John chapter 10 for some weeks, even months. Oh, I want to get to John 10 and talk about the Good Shepherd. But as Jesus is teaching on the Good Shepherd, instead of being overwhelmed with His grace and His generosity, do you know what happened? There was a division. Look at verses 19 through 21. There again was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You know, we've seen this division over and over in the Gospel of John. Every time Jesus stands up to speak, near the end of His, his speech or in John chapter 6, many times during the middle of it, there was a division. The Lord of grace, people turn their back on Him. I hope and pray that there is a division this morning. And what I mean by that is that the grace of the Lord Jesus and His love for sinners as the Good Shepherd won't fall on deaf ears. That you won't just walk out of here this, this morning and say, Oh, well, that was nice. But that you will deeply consider what it means to be loved by the Good Shepherd. To entrust yourself to the Good Shepherd. I hope and pray that none of you be found on the other side of the division. Hear the words of life. To have abundant life offered to you through Jesus Christ and you turn your back on it. I pray that that would be none of you. That you would all trust and renew your faith in the Lord Jesus as we pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. Shepherd our souls into the green pastures of life and fellowship with you. I pray that you would help us to consider what we are doing when we are tempted to push Jesus aside to pursue our own desires, hopes, aspirations. And that we would repent even before we act. We thank you that Jesus is the Good Shepherd who has left the fold many times to come and bring us back. We, have, we do not deserve such love and mercy. We thank you that we have a Savior who is the King of mercy. We pray in His name. Amen.